right now we are in the final installment of our worship series called Worship. Now, a lot of you have been probably trying to figure out, like, why are we teaching on this concept over and over? Like, why are we driving this point home? And I think the reason why is because God is using this moment. He didn't create it, right? He didn't, he didn't have this moment happen so that he could meet us. But since it's happened, he's using this time to have a one-on-one -on -one experience with us. And what we were beginning to figure out, um, as Pastor Martin was talking with me and I was talking with Pastor Linnell, and we were surveying other churches in the area, in the nation, and that are underneath our network, what we were finding out is that people only associate worship with the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30-minute set that happens in the beginning of the service. But they don't see that in everything and anything that they do that it is worship. I want you to write something down, and then I'm going to get into my text. But I want you to understand that the only thing that you can really give God that has no strings attached is your worship. Like when you give God your space, like it was his space before. When you give God um, your tithes and your offering, it literally says in the word of God that you are supposed to do that. But what we understand when we begin to read the word, which I'm going to unbox just a little bit today, what you're going to find out is that worship is the only gift that you can give God with no strings attached. So today, what I'm hoping is that through this entire series that we will be able as an organization, I love all of you that are watching online that aren't a part of our organization, but I'm talking to the AWC Nation. After this series, our pastor's heart and my heart connected to his is that when we come back into this place, that because because of this series and because of what God has been doing in these past in this past month, that our worship will look different, that our worship will sound different, but most importantly, that our worship will be done with ease because we've been able to practice it in private. So today, I have this awesome opportunity. I'm super excited. I have some people up on stage with me that are sitting. Um, I have Miss Rebecca, who is uh, our office manager, but she literally wears like a thousand different hats and makes it all look great. She was the one that did the announcements. We have Mr. Darren. He helps me um, with culture and anything youth and high school related. By the way, selfless plug, every Friday at 6.30, you can catch us um, on Zoom, and it's an awesome conversation. We have one for our high school students, one for our young adults. And then we have the Seymours over here on the left who made the decision, thank God, uh, who made the decision to connect with us, who made the decision that they're going to help us with our worship. Well, no, strike that, not help, that you're going to, like, create it. We're making it work. You can talk back to me. They'll be okay. Yeah, like, 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 this is it. So we thank God for Chad, and we thank God for Tina. But it's easier to teach when you got some people with you. So y'all going to help me today? Y'all yes, got me? Okay, cool. So today, uh, I, I want to talk to you about worship from this perspective. So you know I love to tell stories. And my, gra my grandfather, uh, God bless him, he just turned 77 a couple of days ago. So like in the midst of everything that's like going on in the world, there are always like these sweet moments where like you can totally lose yourself and lose time and space and be like, wow, God's still good. Everything's still working and people are still living. And we were having a conversation and he reminded me of how like for him in the South that day, it was like 89 or 90 some degrees and my papa drinks black coffee to cool down D like right like <laughs> the man drinks black like black coffee with two sweet and lows to cool down and um i asked him while i was on the phone on, <laughs> on thursday i said hey so have you ever been to starbucks or have you ever like grabbed an iced coffee and he says no because it's cheap and i'm like i don't what do you mean it's cheap like it's like six dollars a bottle and what he said is that, well, it's different when you make it yourself. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? I was like, all you do is put the grounds in the, in the joint, and you put the hot water, and then it comes through the cup. Yeah, but he said, but I did it. 
I'm getting there. That, that's, that's, that's the entire message. That's the entire message right there. Like, he's, like my papa said, like, it's different when you go and, ha- and somebody makes you your coffee. Even if it tastes the same, coffee tastes different and it's presented better when it's you're the one that took the coffee beans and ground them. When you're the one that put the filter in the joint. When you're the one that put the hot water in and when you're the one that put the sugar in. It's different because in every single process, you're able to see your fingerprint on how you made the process move forward. But when you drive up to a drive-thru and you get a coffee, all you had to do was say something and it was delivered. What if we were able to like apply this concept to our worship? What if we were able to like apply this conversation that from the time that I walk to the door to the time that I walk into the presence of God, it's my job. It's my job to get into that presence. I don't have to like say something when I walk in the door and be cheerleaded when I come into the service. What if we as kingdom citizens, we AWC Nation, if, if you call yourself a part of this church and I can talk to you like this, any other person just listen in like with nice ears and a, and a soft heart. But if you're a part of the AWC Nation, what would happen if the next time that we're in this building corporately, you took it as a responsibility of your own to get into the presence of God? You want some proof? Here we go. So in the 1880s, the invention of steam made uh, locomotives more mobile. Um, in, in, in human society, we are so like, we, we are, we're, we're like pinpointed on things being faster, being easier, being more efficient. And we want to get from point A to B as fast as possible. And I, I want to make sure that you understand that sometimes um, the way in which you get there, how fast you go, doesn't necessarily mean progress. It just means that you got from point A to point B quick. So you can miss steps in the way. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm at the end of my sermon. So in the 1880s, this, 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 um, this, this conversation about steam happened. So before they were using coal or they were using fire, but then by accident, they, we found out as human beings that if we apply steam to cars and locomotives, if we apply steam to our manufacturing, we can do twice as much, three times as much, or four times as much in production. We can get people from England to to Germany, and we can shave two hours off. So what would happen is that people would ride more often because they could get from point A to point B quicker, but people will become tired while driving. Like, even if it's a um, 12-hour locomotive from point A to point B, if you shave off two hours, like, you're still in the car for, for 10 hours. So what would happen is, is that the people that are in these locomotives, like they would become extremely tired. And at each stop, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been on a bus or have been on a train, but you don't just go from point A to point B unless you're on a bullet train. Like you stop momentarily because everybody that's on the train might be on the train, but they're not headed to the same destination. Okay, so at each stop would be a cafe where these simple snacks and drinks would be available, but you couldn't stop unless you could afford it. This is what I mean. So the only way that you would be able to like get a food or get a drink is if you could get off the train and if you could afford to stay to eat it for the next train to come. So poor people that were riding on the train, you get it, you're already there. So poor people that were on the train that were hungry and that were that were hungry and thirsty, if they couldn't afford to buy another train ticket, they had to stay on the train to get to where they were going. So what you found out is that this coffee that people would be drinking, that it was for the wealthy. One of the biggest myths about worship is that worship is only for the free. One of the biggest myths is that you have to be free to worship. One of the biggest myths is that you have to be wealthy or that you have to have it all together in order to worship God correctly. But what I want to make sure you understand is that there's nothing. Woo! 
There's nothing that you can do to afford the ability to worship. Like, it doesn't matter on the spectrum. If you ain't got nothing living in your house right now, or even the person that's watching us online that has the virus right now sitting in bed that the doctors are saying they're going to die, like that person, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, you can afford to worship at every level. Oh, Jesus. So at this time, the coffee wasn't a luxury. The time was. So if you could get off of, the, off of the train, you had to wait another day for another train to come. So those people were seen as wealthy. So, the, the, so then, listen to this. This guy by the name of Angelo Mir, uh, Moriando, he starts to figure out, he's like, coffee should be for everybody. Like, everybody should be able to drink coffee. Mariando is an Italian, uh, he, he's an Italian uh, share, uh, I'm sorry, an Italian um, uh, agricultural like, like scientist um, in, in Italy. And he's trying to figure out a way, can we speed up the process without missing any of the steps? Like, can I get coffee to people sooner? Can I get coffee to people quicker so that the poor man and the rich man can get coffee at the same time and still go to where they need to go? So what happens is, is he patents this, this idea by accident, this thing called espresso. I don't drink coffee. I think it's like the nastiest thing ever. I think it's just like taking dirt and hot water and then putting it in a cup. I think it's disgusting. And I try every single time. Every single time that my family has a cup of coffee, Callie probably laughing, my mama probably laughing. Anytime there's a cup of coffee, I'm like, oh, my God, I love coffee. And then I go to drink the coffee, and it doesn't work. Here's the second myth. Every worship style isn't made for everybody. Like, like you get caffeine from coffee, I get caffeine from tea. It doesn't mean that coffee is better than tea or vice versa. We're still getting caffeine. So what that means is that whatever environment that you're in, if you don't like the worship, that's not a reason not to lift your hands. So, so that means that, like, if there's tea on the table in Omaha and you, I ask for sweet tea and you give me a cup and a separate thing of sugar, like, I have no re- like, if, if I really want sweet tea, I'm going to make it happen. I'm not going to use the fact that it's separate to not lift my hand. So, like, if you're in worship at the church or AWC, forget all. I mean, I love all you that are watching, that are visitors, that want to be very important people and be VIPs. I love you. But AWC Nation, if your worship is contingent on being able to have your coffee already made, then you're in the wrong cafe. Let me move forward. Let me move forward. So he patents this opportunity called espresso. And I, I'm, I'm teaching. Like, I, I'm not trying to like yell at you or holler at you. I'm trying to get a point over to you today that's going to finalize this, this um, series that we're in, that your worship, God's always worthy, and you're always worth worshiping God. I'm, I'm going to get there in a second, though. Listen, so he realized that you can make coffee with the power of steam, and what basically what happens is, is that you force hot air and water through the grounds, and it keeps the integrity of the beans, and it preserves the natural flavor. So what happened is, is while he starts, so before they would grind up the coffee, they would put it on like this little like sheet that had like porous holes in it, and they would just pour hot water over it. But what would happen is, is that there would be grounds that would be left on the filter. So what would happen is, is that Dr. Angelo was like, what if the person that's poor, like they can't waste ground. So how do we use all of them as possible? So he says, if I take this coffee bean and if I put it in this, in this machine and I press it rather than grinding it up, then what's in the bean, everything comes out and then you can use it for compost and you can think you're already there. Wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Like stop. They're worshipers. So like I need them like to chill. Okay. So what we find out is that Angelo's biggest thing is that he wanted to fix a problem, that he wanted regular coffee 
for other people. But regular coffee took too long. So then what happens is, is after Angelo creates this espresso machine, what he does is he converts one cafe from having, for, for, he, he converts it so that people don't have to get off of the train to get their coffee. What Angelo does is he goes through all of the processes of making a really great cup of coffee, does it in half the amount of time that people on the train don't even have to get off the train. What they do is they, while they're, while they're going down, they give their money to a person, right, while they're going, like while the train is going. The train doesn't stop. While the train is going, they give their money to one person at one stop. They keep going, and their coffee is ready at the next. What Angelo ended up doing was he gave the people no reason or no excuse to drink coffee. So we have Facebook. We have an app. We have YouTube. The church has a Spotify playlist. Matter of fact, we got four of them. So I want you, each and every one of you, to write down your excuse of why worship is impossible. You have the time. You have the space. You have the leadership. We have pastors. Yes, ma'am. Like, we have everything you need to worship. What Angelo realized is that it's not about making money. I'm just trying to get a cup of coffee into every single person's hand. So this is the cool thing, and this is where worship came into it. So I want you to write down, the, this is what the definition of, wor- of, of, of espresso is. Espresso literally means to squeeze out. Espresso means operating at a high speed, creating twice as much product. It means to squeeze something out to get a liquid or a to get a liquid or or to get a byproduct that is drinkable or edible. But remember what my papa said. He said, it's different when you do it yourself. What we figure out is that espresso. The name literally means coffee expressed. It means coffee in its purest form. It means coffee at the, like the, the taste where the, where the taste, what somebody tells me that this happens, but now the coffee tastes how it smells. I don't believe it, it's a lie. But the coffee now tastes how it smells. Now listen, it's different when you do it yourself. Now let's go to the definition of express. We talked about espresso. Let's talk about express because there are so many people that are in church that believe that they can worship God by not physically expressing it. And what I'm going to show you this morning is that it's absolutely impossible to worship your God without physical expression. It even says in the word of God, it uses words like flamboyant. It says that you should be so fervent in your worship for God that people think that you're crazy. You should be so fervent in your worship for God and so physically like ridiculous that people think that you have lost your mind. That's the reason why when David started to dance, people thought that he was dancing because of the fact that he was worshiping God. But what David was doing was he was taking a every single excuse for every man coming forward after him that you have no reason not to worship. Because think about it. David had killed a man, slept with his wife. His daughter was, was, was taken advantage of by his sons. He had done terrible things. But even in the midst of being a person in sin, David finds a, he, he's like, I don't have a reason to worship God. I just do. Write this down. If you have to find a reason to do something, you will always find a reason not to. So here we go. Express defined. Listen to this. Express means to convey a thought or a feeling in words or by what? Gestures and conduct. The literal subtext of the word express means to squeeze out liquid or air. So what does that mean? Does that mean that our worship is supposed to be this opportunity where we are squeezed, where we are pressed, and we give God 
We give God a taste of what he's done for us. Look at your worship as a cup of coffee. Which is more presentable? The cup that you took out of your cupboard that you went through all of the steps to make or the cup that you went down the street and bought and kept in the refrigerator just in hopes that somebody came? There's a difference when your worship has God's name on it and when, when your worship is something that you had to take out of, the, out of the pot and put in the microwave. What I'm trying to make sure that we understand AWC and what I'm trying to make sure that any other person that's watching today is that the only gift that you can give God is worship. But why would you give God a lukewarm cup of coffee when there's a hot pot over there on your counter? The problem is, is that we don't know how to make coffee. Therefore, we're giving God a product that we think is great, but he thinks is trash. I don't even drink coffee, but I would drink it. I'd be more inclined to drink it, Maddie, if you made it for me than if you bought it from Starbucks. It's the process of knowing that there's love when you grind the beans. There's, there's love when you put the sugar in it. There's love when you put the milk in it. Like even if your milk is spoiled, what you're telling me is that it's spoiled, I know, but this is all I have. So when you give God your lukewarm like worship, it's like going to McDonald's and then you present it as if you've done it yourself. Somebody write it down. God wants my cup. He, like God, he wants my cup. He wants my cup because the other cup has a, a, like the golden arches. God doesn't want McDonald's. He wants Joshua Espresso. <laughs> so here we go. Are you ready? So it's so interesting, Dad, because like we've been teaching on this, this concept in the word and we've been following the children of Israel. And it's really interesting because like we went through Exodus and that was when the Egyptians were relieved from captivity. And then we went through Leviticus. I got the opportunity to teach you a couple weeks ago um, that that was like the book of atonement. That was where God gave us this opportunity to separate ourselves from our sin. And then God was able to bring us into his presence. But then we haven't um, spoken about numbers, but numbers is basically in the Bible is the journey of the 40 years that they were walking around. So what we have to understand is that in that 40 years, what happened is, is that Moses, what was promised to him before, now he has to promise it to somebody else. And that's another concept for another day. But basically, Moses is this guy that leads these people out of captivity. But in order for them to get to the promised land, the only thing that they had to do was to worship God. That's the only thing that he required of them. People said he, they had to obey him. The only, the only thing that he wanted from them to do was to distinguish themselves by their worship. They end up worshiping false idols and worshiping gold, and God says, okay, I, I, I can't kill you because I promise I would never do that again. Yep. I already did the flood, and I promise I wouldn't do that again. So, like, I will allow you to die. There are some situations that you think that God is killing you in, but because of your disobedience, he's just allowing. Jesus. He, he's allow, like, and he's a great God, and he's an amazing father, but it's just like my dad was saying, if I were to ride my bike with no helmet on after he told me not to, if I fell over, hit my head, and had a stroke, is he a bad father or am I disobedient? Wow, come on. So then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the cool thing about the book of Deuteronomy is that the same thing that God told Moses in the mountain one-on-one, -on -one, now Moses is being given the same instructions to give to the people. So as I spoke about last time, Moses was up in the mountains with God. They said for three days. Is that correct? Is it, is it three days, Pastor? Is it three days? Is that correct? Right. So three days. But what we understand is that when you're in God's presence, like time, there's no construct. So we don't know how long he was up there. So what we have to understand is that what Moses had with God, he squeezed it into a book called Deuteronomy. 
So if you're ever trying to figure out how to reset or recalibrate your worship, read Deuteronomy. Because this is the basis of our worship. Do you want proof? Here we go. Deuteronomy explained means this. It's a pep talk from Moses to the people of Israel who are about to walk into the promised land. So the, Moses is talking to the people. They're all a group. He's talking to the older adults that did not follow God. And then he's talking to their children at the same time. The biggest part about being at Ambassador's Worship Center is that we honor and respect. That's another one of our culture codes. We honor those that have done what they've done to bring us to this point, and we respect who's taking us further, but we do it intentionally together. Moses understood if these children that are going to be taking the new promised land, if they're going to have to get it, they're not going to listen to me. So I'm going to have to tell their parents, this is what you're missing out on, so their parents teach them. Which means, parents, if your children don't know how to worship, it's your responsibility. If your children are afraid to pray in public, that's your responsibility. If your children are afraid of the presence of God, that's not their job to know what's going on. It's your job to be the filter like coffee so that the product that God gets. Anyway, let, let, me, let me go back. The other definition of this is that it's the second law. Deuteronomy is making the law relevant from the old generation to the new one. So in chapters 1 through 11, Israel is stubbornness and rebellion. And, and Moses talks to the old people. In chapters 12 to 26, he deals with like the laws and the commands. He basically says, this is the reason why you're going to die in the desert. Because of the laws and the commands that God gave you, like you didn't follow them. So it's not what God did. You put yourself in this decision. You put yourself in the desert and now you're going to die here. But the last part is really interesting. In chapters 26 to 27 of Deuteronomy, like the entire book, he talks about giving them a choice. He gives them, he says, I set before you what? Life and death, blessings or a curse. But then he predicts their exile from the promised land because Moses says it doesn't matter how many times God sends a man with flesh to you to say to repent for your sins. You're not going to believe it's true until he sends another man named Jesus later on. So Moses basically says it doesn't really matter how much I tell you worship, how much worship to do or how important worship is. The only way that the children of, of, of Egypt are going to understand worship is if I tell them they're going to die. The only time that you're going to understand worship, young lady, is when he cheats on you. Now you want to worship. The only way that you want to worship God is once you get sick. But you didn't worship him when you, like, that, so Moses understands the only way that you're going to understand this thing called worship is something bad happens to you. So at the same time that I'm telling you that worship is important, I'm basically telling you that walking into Jericho, like, it's not going to mean anything because you need it to come from God alone in order for you to understand it. Your man and woman of God here at this church set the precedence of worship. You should be doing 10% of what they do. Like, they literally set the foundation. If you were at a church where your pastors do not worship, I'm not going to move forward, but what I, what I would like to say here in the voice of Pastor Martin, so it's honorable. So here we go. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament and 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. A commandment is something that you are told to do, and you don't have, like, you don't get a choice to, like, say, well... Lift your hands. I ain't got no arms. God says, lift, 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 your, lift your hands. Jesus was so bad, he told a blind man to see. And the blind man didn't even know who he was. He just says, if somebody's bold enough to tell me to see, I'm going to open up these pea pies and I'm going to look. So what we understand is that there's literally over 1,600 commandments in the word of God. But God only made 10 of them prevalent for them in the time when they were in the desert. The first commandment that he told them was what? I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt what? Have no other gods before me. 
No other gods but me. Then he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against thy neighbor. And Pastor Martin, when I began to break this down, I thought it was like when you lie to somebody. But bearing false witness basically means when you misrepresent that person's truth with somebody else in order to get ahead of them. But that's another story for another day. I'll teach you on that maybe some other day. Then he said, just um, uh, don't, do not lust after a neighbor's wife. But he also said, thou shalt not covet the neighbor's house, nor his farm, nor his cattle. So the cool thing about it is that a lot of these commandments that God had given the people, they were being practiced around the world. Even like people think when they read the word of God that there was only like Jerusalem and like the Hebrew and the Egyptians. No, like the Chinese dynasty, like the Jap, like all these other people are living their lives. So then what we come to find out is that in, in 600 AD, the Greeks were practicing cleanliness by bathing. Remember, God said, keep yourself clean. And then the Romans were practicing prayer to their gods. The Persians were executing those who stole and that spoke false truths of others. The Indian Empire practiced clean eating. And the Chinese Empire was practicing the system of giving of the first. So God understands. He says, okay, I've given you these Ten Commandments, but other people are doing the same thing. So how am I going to be able to distinguish between them and my people? So God gives them another commandment, and he declares that they have to worship him. So God basically says, the way that I'll know that you're my people isn't if you give. It's not if you don't kill. It's not if you don't just make me your God. But if you go to the first commandment, the one way that I know that I am your God and, I'm, and you don't have anybody over me is by the way that you worship me. So what if God identified you as, your, as his son or his daughter based off of your worship? Are you owned or are you out in the cold? Look at your neighbor. Say, our, our, our worship distinguishes us. Your worship in the group of people, God sees a billion people. But when you lift your hands in the name of Jesus, when you lift your hands in, in connection with God, it's like a spotlight in millions where God sees you and declares you as his own. But if you try to skip steps when he spots the light on you, are you going to give him a weak cup of coffee? Or are you going to give him something that's strong that's been through a process? So here we go. I only got four points for you today. We're going through espresso word. Here it is. Number one, worship is expressed through love. Remember, in Deuteronomy, um, we, we see Moses speaking to the children of God. So listen to this in the, in the 11th verse. He says, you must love the Lord your God and always obey his requirements, decrees, regulations, and commands. Keep in mind that I am not talking now to your children who have never experienced the discipline of the Lord. What Moses is saying to these older people that are going to die, he says the only reason why you're not going into the land is because you didn't express to the Lord your worship. You didn't express your love to God through your worship. So basically what it's saying is your worship is expressed through love, which virtually means that your worship is pushed through a filter. And once that filter is, is full, what comes out of it is love. Like your worship is expressed through your love. So when you love your mom, when you love your dad, husband, when you love your wife, like I don't know why we disqualify day-to-day -day things as being valid of worship. When you, when you don't say what's on your heart to the person that you know in that moment, you could crush them, you could get that promotion, and you don't. When you get slapped in the face and you decide to bless that person. When you worship, when you give love, you're pushing your worship through this filter, and it becomes love. The second point 
is that worship is expressed through obedience. Listen, in the fifth, it says this. Your children didn't see how the Lord cared for you in the wilderness until you arrived here. What we have to understand is that when Moses is talking to these, these older people, the older Israelites, the children of these older Israelites don't know brokenness. They don't know life outside of a relationship with God. So like when you talk to the children of the children of Israel, when you say like, hey, you need to worship to them, they're like, that's like telling somebody to breathe. Like, I don't, I don't try to breathe, I breathe. It's like telling a fish, like, how do you breathe underwater? He's like, I don't, I can't compute. So now you have a generation that doesn't know relationship with God, that doesn't know how to worship, leading a generation that all they know is worship. So what we understand in this fifth verse is that, listen to this, he says, they didn't see what he did in Dathan and Abiram. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering it. The sons of Eliab. Um, how, how the descendants of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth in the Israelites' camp and swallowed them up, the enemy. And along with their households and tents and every living thing. In this verse, what we see is that Moses compares that you have, no, you have every reason to worship God, but this new generation hasn't been delivered from anything. They were never in slavery, and they worship me harder, and I haven't taken them through anything. So your worship has to be expressed through your obedience. Your worship is pushed through this filter of obedience, and it becomes something that God can drink. So basically what that means is that when you do not lift your hands, when you do not express your worship physically, you are literally being disobedient. You are literally telling God, I'm going to do it my way for as long as I want to, and I really don't care about what you have to say because I'm going to do what I want to do. So when you're in the presence of God and you're standing here and you say, well, I worship like this or I worship like this, what you're telling God is, God, I obey you this much. God, I obey you this much. God, I obey you this much. If you had to physically show God how much you obey him, what would your posture look like? I don't think I can get that low. Like, I don't think, I'd have to bury myself six feet deep to really express to God how much I'm obedient. Third point, third point, third point. No, I have to go back. What we have to understand is that in the Hebrew language, there's no word for obedience. Like, there's no, there's no translation for the word obedience. Basically, what that means is that in the Hebrew culture, obedience is something that you do. It's not something that's learned. Come on, sir. It's not something that's taught. So when they begin to translate the word of God in the New Living Translation and the message, and Pastor Martin always tells me, if you want to really get it, read it in the Greek, then read it in the New King James, because that's how you're going to get it the most raw. What we understand is that there's this word called Shema, S-H-E-M-A-H. It's a Hebrew word, and that word literally means to listen to and then to respond. So when the word of God says you will worship me through in obedience, it means that you will shema. It means that you will listen to the word of God. And then the only way that you fulfill this is by responding. So being hearers of the word and not doers of the word, you're literally being disobedient. So to hear the words and to hear the music and to hear what's going on here and to not lift your hands and be a part of the worship, to not be up here up front, there shouldn't be cheerleaders on the stage trying to get you to be obedient to God. So we have these worship services where we have people that are hot right up front, and then we also have people that are hot up front that are trying to be seen. What I'm trying to tell you is the person that's up here and the person that's back there that refuses to be a part, you're being just as disobedient. Shema means that you have to listen and you have to respond. So if you just listen, you're still only doing half of it. Darren, I want you to go wash the dishes. You heard what I said, but has he done what I told him to do if he doesn't go and get them suds going? No. So how can we expect God to receive our worship if all we're doing is listening? 
How? I, like, I, I really want to know. Like, like, tell me in the chat. I'm watching y'all. Like, like, how? How can I expect God to bless me if I listen to a, 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 a sermon about giving, but I don't? If I listen to a sermon in our family series about honor your father and your mother and your children and your wife, but I don't give it. Like, like how am I expect, how, how, how am I supposed to expect blessing if I'm listening but not responding? So this is what it says. You are supposed to listen, then obey, then you express, and that reinforces your love. It's one thing to tell God, God, I love you. He can listen to that all day. God, I love you. I appreciate you. And if you've ever been in a relationship, um, so I'm getting married, which is absolutely awesome, my beautiful fiance, Vanessa, and it's great because, like, she's a, she's, a, she's a physical touch and an acts person before words, like the love languages. So for her, don't, don't tell me. Show me or give me a hug. So for her, she says, like, it, you haven't done it unless you've done it. Like, you haven't loved me until you kissed me on the cheek. What if God is saying, you haven't shown that you love me until I feel that you have worshipped me, until, until I feel the physical wrapping of your soul around me in worship? Yes, you could say I'm a worshiper, but physically, can you prove it? Here we go. Third point. Got one more point, and we're getting out of here, people. One more, three, two more points. Third point. Worship is expressed through service. 13, if you carefully obey, this is, remember, now Moses is done talking to the elderly. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know how much time went. They might have already passed away. But Moses is now talking to this new generation. Listen, he says, if you carefully obey the commands I am giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God, remember, that's the first one. Worship is always expressed through love. You cannot worship something you don't love. So if you can't put the bottle down, it's not that you can't quit. It means that you love being Reel it back in, Joshua. Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul. Do what? Serve him. Do what? Serve him with all you do. Not just lifting your hands, not just praying, but signing up to be on Ministry of Helps. Hold on, wait a minute, wait. So I can't just come to the church and lift my hands? Like, you mean I should probably audition to sing alto? I should probably, like, try and, like, clean something. Like, I see trash in the hallway of the church I call mine, but I can't bend over and grab the trash. Like, the word of God says that your worship is supposed to be expressed through your service, through what you do for others without wanting it to be reciprocated back to you. Like, that's one of our culture codes and people, but we say it, but do we do it? We're generous. If there's an opportunity for me to give of my time, my life, my resources, of my money, and I can, I will. But the question is, do you? How many times have you been in the grocery store and you know the person needs $5? You just got paid. You don't need that $5. What type of blessing would it be if you paid for that person's groceries and you didn't tell them that you did it? So he explains to us, how to do it through service. I know this is good because I'm sweating. I know it's good. I know it's good. Listen to this. In the 18th verse, this is how he says you're supposed to worship an expression of your service. He says, listen, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. What he says is that the way that you show your service to God is by knowing this word so much that you literally have bound it to your hands and to your head. 
which basically means that with everything that you do, it's from this kingdom mandate that I'm supposed to serve others. And every time I'm thinking about something, I'm always thinking, how can I help somebody else? Like, I just got to raise, but I, I can't hold on to this money because once I close my hand on it, God thinks it's mine. So like, what can, how can I get this bread out of my pocket? Because I need some more of it. So what we understand is, listen to this. He says, teach them to your children. He's talking to this next generation who aren't even able to bear children yet. He's telling them, you need to teach your children this thing so that you can pass on what you know to what they need to know. He says, talk about them with you are, when you are at, at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are going up. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. You can tell when you show up to somebody's residence if they worship or not. You walk in the house and there's turmoil or you think you got to do sage and a seance, there's no way you can worship. Because remember what we talked about in the first message. The only way that you're able to worship God is if his presence is there. So if God's presence is in your house, there's no way no demons can be there. There's no way that sickness can be there. There's no way that lying can be there. There's no way that fornication, there's no way that cheating, there's no way that infidelity, there's no way that sickness on your children, there's no way that premature death can be in your house. So when somebody walks into your house and they feel something other than the presence of God, I already know you don't know how to worship. You, you don't know how to worship. How can you serve me when you, don't have to, when you don't know even how to serve God a simple cup of coffee? Which is your worship. Listen to this, 21st. So that as long as the sky remains above the earth, which basically means forever, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. When you worship, God literally unlocks things that were supposed to be for other people for you. Like, when you worship, you are literally giving God permission to give you what he promised your great-grandfather. You're giving God permission to give you the freedom that your parents were supposed to walk into. Now, you, when you lift your hands, when you serve somebody, when you love somebody else, you, when your worship is pushed through a filter and it, you get this sweet product of love and service, what you are telling God is that you can trust me with what you couldn't trust them with. So now the children of Israel, when they walk into Jericho, their parents would have had to use swords and they would have had to use spears. But because they are worshiping God, the walls fall down because they worship God. Not be, we misinterpret that they were yelling at the bricks. No, the children of Israel were worshiping God. They walked around seven times. On the seventh time, they yelled to the people, those the Jerichonians, that's what I'll call them. They probably thought like, these fools are yelling at us. But what the Israelites understood is like, I don't know what a sword is. Like, I don't know what a spear. That's how you can say my praise is my. If your praise is your weapon, it's the equivalent of a sword or a spear. You have to think about it that if you practice your worship, that's how you sharpen it. When you practice your worship, you're sharpening your praise. When you practice your worship in private, you're sharpening your sword so that when stuff comes up against you, you don't have to fight it. You fall to your knees and you worship. But you can't kill a bear with a dull spear, which means that the last place that you should be worshiping is in the house of God. 
You should be doing it in your car. You should be doing it in the classroom. You should be doing it in the restroom. You should be doing it while you're showering. You should be doing it while you're leading a business meeting. You should be doing it while you're whooping your kids. You should be doing it while you're sick. What we have to understand, people, and I know I'm preaching right now, is that worship is not expressed quietly. It never has been, never will be. The Word of God says that if you're obedient, you will do it through the lifting of your hands and the gestures of where you are. Before I get to my last point, right there where you are, worship God. Come on. Worship him. God, we thank you. God, we worship you. I give you all the praise. God, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm giving you an opportunity to bless me with what you couldn't bless my grandparents with. Come on. Come on. Come on. It's not awkward. God, I bless you. I bless you. I honor you. I worship you with no strings attached. God, you've taken me through too much for me not to lift my hands. You've taken me through too much for me not to scream hallelujah. Come on, somewhere where you are, scream hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what I want you to want, God. This is what I want you to have. I want this cup of coffee, which is my worship, to be hot every time. I want it to taste the same every time. I want my worship to taste like service. I want my worship to taste like expression. I want my service, I'm sorry, I want my worship to taste like love. But the only way that I do that, God, the only way I make the perfect cup of coffee is I got to practice. I got to practice. Look at your neighbor. Say, I got to practice. Write it in the chat. You have to practice. Nobody learned how to ride a bike the first time when they got on the pedals. You had to have boldness to do it. So the person that comes up here is no less bold than the person that's in their chair. But it's the way in which you come in front of God. How dare we walk into a presence of Jesus where there's music, where there's sounds, where there's a person over here that got healed from HIV. There's a person over here that had a blood clot in their lung. There's a person over here that was divorced for 10, 14, 15, 20 years, and they, they get remarried. Or there's a person over here that lost a baby last year, and they got twins this year. How could you not? How could you not lift your hands and worship God? How could you not? This is my last point. Worship expressed through your choice. Worship is an expression of your choice. The first point was worship is expressed through love. And this is the one amazing thing that I love about my fiance. Because every day, she literally texts me. She says, every day I re-choose you. Every day through my actions, every day through the way that I walk, every day. She prayed for me before service today, and she said, like, I choose you. Every time you get the opportunity to worship God, you get to tell him, God, I know what you did yesterday, but I choose you again today. Like, I know what happened with me before, God, but today I choose you again. I cho- I'll choose you, as Moses said, as long as, the, as long as the sky is above the earth, God, I'm going to choose you every day. But I know that by saying it, that's not enough. So I got to physically show you. So God, I make the choice to choose you. Let me, let me show you in the scripture. The 26th verse, it says, look today, I am giving you the choice between what? Blessing and curse, life and death. You will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. But you will be cursed if you reject the commandments of the Lord your God and turn away from him and worship gods you have not known before. Listen to verses 31 and 32. Listen to verses 31 and 32. Every worship leader, every worship director, any person that you call yourself a Levite, any person that you call yourself a worship leader, if you, if you lead worship, if you create the set, you're not worshiping if you don't follow these next two lines. Listen to this. 
For you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land of the Lord your God is giving you. When you take that land and are living in it, listen, you must be careful to obey all of the decrees and regulations I am giving you today. So if your worship set does not create space for the people to worship, you're disobedient. If your worship is about the leader being able to exhort rather than God's spirit being able to be expressed, you're being disobedient. If your worship does not prepare the people to hear the word of God, you're being disobedient. If your worship doesn't allow God to break chains, doesn't allow the families to worship together, if it doesn't give the people that are coming an opportunity to have a one-on-one face with God, we're being disobedient. But I want to know how many of you this morning, you want to choose God again. Like, God, I, I choose to worship you. Like, I'm, I choose. Like, I've been doing it because I've been told. I've been doing it because somebody asked me to, but God, today... I'm reinvesting right there where you are. Come on, make the choice. Come on, they're going to play. You worship him. Come on, you shouldn't need me. Right there where you are. God, I worship you. I worship you, Jesus. Like, I give it to you. 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 God, I give you this opportunity to worship you. Come on, I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. Come on. Come on. Right there where you are. God, I choose to worship you. I choose to worship you. I make the choice to worship you.